Okay, so we're going to continue. Um, we're going to finish up, actually. If you remember last week, we were talking about the different suyot of Shabbat. Um, we were in the middle of Sudash Lishit, and the class was over. So um, if you remember, we basically went through four, right, the, the three suyot of Shabbat correspond to a number of different possible um, things. We said it's, number one is the ascending levels of Kedusha. Uh, number two, that they correspond to the three levels, uh, three stages of a wedding. Um, Each of the meals, yes, represents one of the three stages of a wedding. We said it represents one of the three uh, main Shabbatolos in history. Um, and we also said it represents one of the three areas, main areas of the Dash. So um, we're talking about Sudash Lishit. We said, in terms of Kedusha, just to review very, very quickly, um, it has two different names. First, we said it's the Anpin, which is like a miniature presence, um, where we said this is about uh, the time of Din, where Shabbos as a whole is a time of compassion. And as we are slowly transitioning into the days of the week, that's when Din gets reintroduced into the mix. Um, and this is a time when the two start blending together. Um, we also said it refers to Ravid de Ravin, which is will of wills, where we said that Hashem's main will is, again, to be compassionate, to do chesed with us. Um, and we have to use this time to start thinking about what is our will of wills. What is it that we really want to do? Um, and uh, yeah, basically what's our overriding will, um, a time to think about self-improvement, who am I, where, where am I going, etc. That's the thing. As we said, the honeymoon's over and now we have to focus on, you know, getting to work basically. Um, as far as the stage of the wedding, so this is corresponding to the stage of Yichud of a wedding, right? Uh, as we said, the words in Mincha, Right of Shabbos is ata echad v'shimcha echad. It's all about the concept of being achdut, of being together. Um, and so this is a time of yichud. And I actually, just on that note, I wanted to just share something with you. I didn't give this to you, so I, I apologize. This is a safer Shabbos malkasah that uh, from Rapinka Zatzal that I, I use a lot for this uh, for this class. So he talks about this idea of yichud. I just wanted to share this because. It just makes me stop and think for a minute. So he says, um, um, So all the mitzvot that Hashem gave us, he gave us in a public way, right? Except, he said, for Shabbos. Okay, meaning what? He gave that to him in private. Like Hashem gave this to us as as like a private, like like almost like passing us a little love note. Okay, it's not something that He gave to. We know that the non-Jews are not supposed to keep Shabbos. It's not something that He gave to the whole world. It's something He gave to us in private. Why? Because Shabbos is a time of togetherness, right? Of unity between us and His between Hashem and His holy nation. And this is not something that anyone else has a right to kind of participate in, right? If you're not invited, you can't come. And so he says, Even the halachot of Shabbos give us this perspective of, of Shabbos being a time of Yichud, and I'm focusing here on, he said, the time of Sudash Lashik, which really is quite early on in the day. It kind of is from, you know, early afternoon till the end of uh, Shabbos. Um, so he says, right? We know that on Shabbos, we're supposed to be careful with what we read. We're not supposed to just pick up some random, you know, book that has nothing to do with, you know, Torah or whatever. We're supposed to be careful. We're not necessarily supposed to read secular things. Right? Things that I need, things about Torah, maybe psychology, things I need to help me. Uh, you know, emotionally. So there's actually part of the law is, you know, you get a, somebody handed you a contract before Shabbos, you know, getting a new apartment. So you're like, oh, you know, I'll just look at it on Shabbos. No, you shouldn't be sitting there reading a contract or something on Shabbos. Why? So if you're asking on a superficial level, why aren't you allowed to sit and read, you know, a star, like some kind of, you know, document like that on Shabbos? What do you think? Just yeah. 
and it's not related. Well, that's definitely true, but just on a very like practical level, yeah, come to write you can come to write. Like your your natural inclination is to like cross things out, make make you know make um corrections and stuff like that. So technically, that's really it. But there's really much more depth as to why we can't read something like that. It's perspective is about the whole essence of Shabbos. Shabbat is man yichud bin Hashem Yisrach. Shabbos is a time of yichud between us and God. So it's not... It's not the right time to sit and busy yourself with something that is totally unrelated to the yichud that is going on there between you and God. The same thing with the way that we speak. We're not supposed to speak the rechol on Shabbos. Okay? And so he brings, um, he brings an example of Mashal of Amelech and his queen who are sitting and they're sitting and talking to each other. If a czar, if a stranger comes in and knocks on the door and like opens the door while the king and queen are having a yechidus, as we say, right? They're having a private time. He's, he just pokes his head in. Hi. Okay. So he, what happened? He's been levatel the yichud, right? He's all of a sudden like the, the moment is broken, right? Kolsha came in hematrona atzma. So, but 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 think about it this way. It's one thing, okay. If, you know, the, the king and the queen are sitting there and some random person comes in and, and, okay, so they're obviously like, that's, that's, you know, it's not okay. But he said, imagine if the king and queen are sitting and having yichidas together, right? They're having yichud together. And she herself, okay, stops the conversation with the king and starts talking to someone else. So, so you know, how, first of all, what a pagam that is on the king, right? She's sitting and talking to the king and, uh, okay, ladies, put it into this perspective. You're at your wedding in your yichud room, okay? You've been waiting for this time, right? It's just you and him, right? And then I would I'd like to assume, or I'd like to hope, okay, that the conversation, you know, you're sitting and talking about, I don't know, deep things, right? Or connect, you know, you're so excited, and then you start saying, oh, I, I, you know, there was a great sale, you know, <laughs> yesterday. You, you can't even imagine the kind of sale that I bought in the sale yesterday. You know what I mean? Or, you know, I see that there's a, an exhibit going on in the art museum, you know, down the block. Like, right? <laughs> imagine that, that happening, right? I don't think, first of all, if it happened to us, we certainly wouldn't feel very good. We did that to our time, right? That wouldn't feel very good. So he's just explaining that. When we do that on Shabbos, it's tantamount to that, okay? We're, it's Shabbos Kodesh. We're, in, we're sitting in the Yuchud room of God. And when we're sitting and having a conversation about this, that, and the other thing that has absolutely nothing to do with our relationship, it's not matim, okay? It's not matim. It's not appropriate. Um, it's painful. Okay, now obviously God, you know, he's God. You know, he doesn't get insulted, but... We have to put it in sometimes human perspective so we can really understand. Okay, so I just thought, I read this many years ago, but that always made a very strong impression on me. Okay, so that is the stage of the wedding. Yes. Why like Zerubat Sushi specifically? Again, as we said, this is the time where we said the Kedusha of Shabbos is really, has really infiltrated us. You know what I'm saying? This is like, this is a very peak time where it's like, at the beginning, it was like we said, the, like the honeymoon stage, like, yay, you know, we're together, yay, we're so happy. And we're, but like, as thing, you know, now things are starting to get more serious, okay, as Shabbos progresses. Um, okay, this is also connected to the Shabbos in history, which is the Shabbos of Mashiach, okay? Um, technically, Mashiach is not supposed to come on Shabbos, but the, the, the Shabbos of Mashiach means the Shabbos of, of the end of days, um, so unlike Shabbos of Matan Torah, what happened after Matan Torah, immediately after Matan Torah? What did the Jews do? They sinned with the golden calf, right? So unlike that Shabbos, which was immediately followed by this terrible travesty, um, the, the Shabbos of Mashiach is going to come to repair. It's going to come to repair the, what Chet Egal, you know, brought into the world. And, uh, and to perfect the world, okay? And so again, it's a time for us to think more, uh, to think a little bit more seriously about how we can fix ourselves, how we can, you know, perfect ourselves. Um, and he brings down actually, uh, actually I'll say that in a second. So yeah, so it's a time for us to stop and to think about ourselves, how we can work on ourselves um, and become better. And then the last thing that we said that this is connected to is the place in the base of Igdash of, what do you think? 
Kodesh Kadash, okay, which is the Holy of Holies, the holiest place in the Beit HaMikdash. Um, because as you said, this is the highest time. There's a beautiful sefer about Shabbos called the Sidur Shal Shabbat. Shabbos by the Chernovitzer. They said about the Chernovitzer that he would go to the mikvah on Er Shabbos, that he would come out like inches taller than he was during the week. Like his whole, everything about him changed. He was, his whole essence was Shabbos. So he says that the, the time of Musaf, he said, is a time when, so to speak, we're like, um, making crown, a crown to put on Hashem's head. And then Sudash Lishit is the time when we're actually approaching the king to put the crown on his head. Okay, so it's a very holy time. It's like, again, like we're entering into the Holy of Holies. Um, and again, so we want to think about how can we be metahir ourselves? How can we purify ourselves? Not necessarily just from things that we're doing that are wrong, but we spoke about, I think a number of times that part of the process of working on ourselves is also to think how I can even purify myself, myself with things that aren't bad, right? With things that are holy, but I still, how can I do it in a holier way? How can I do it even in a better way? Um, and maybe this is why I think we all know Sudash Lishit, as we said, and that's why it's called, we call it Shalashudis, right? Shalosh Sudot, because if you've heard before, why is it called Shalosh Sudot? And Hebrew, we call it Sudash Lishit, but in, in, you know, in the in the, uh, in the Altaheim, right? They would call it chalashidis, right? Chalosh Sudot, because if you ate this meal, okay, and most of us are not very hungry, especially in the winter time, to sit down and eat this meal. Why are we eating it? Because when Hashem said so, it's a mitzvah. I'm doing the Ratzon Hashem. So if you do that, it's as though you ate all of the meals for that purpose. Okay, you get the schar as though you ate all the meals for the only the, the holiest of intentions when most of us really are pretty starting on Friday night. And Shabbos day, that's not necessarily why we do it, but we get the merit as though we are eating it only for that purpose. Okay, and so perhaps this is why this particular meal, we get that tzachar, okay? Because it's giving us an opportunity to be metahir ourselves in this area of eating, okay? Like we said, how do we metahir ourselves? How do we purify ourselves even in areas that are, you know, that, that are okay? It's okay to eat, right? You're eating badats. You're only eating the kosher of kosher of foods. But still, we have to think about how can we be metahir ourselves even with things that are permissible, Okay, and so just to end this off with the let's look at the sheet that I just gave to you from the Swedish town. This one here. There you have it. Okay, so um, just look at where at the bottom of the page where it says Rabbi Deravin. This is from the Son of Rebbe, where it's bracketed. Okay, a couple of lines down. Um, so he wants to just talk about for a moment this special Ace Ratzon, right? This time of um, and Ace Ratzon is like a time of tefillah, a time of real like change that can take place. That happens at this time, around Mincha time, you know, we said, uh, that's when Shal Shittis is, that's the first time we can start to see Mincha. Which is very different than any other time. And if you remember, this brings us back to the very beginning of this class, of our classes on Shabbos. Let's see if you remember this. From the Or HaChayim, who says, Remember the Orachim said, the world was created only to last for six days. It had a lifespan of six days. And so we created this one day that was built into the system to be able to kind of reboot, right? To reset so that we can have another full, on another week. Um, and if not for this day of Shabbos, obviously, the world would revert back to a state of complete confusion, like it was before Hashem created the world. Okay, if you want to look at it more, you can look in the Orachayim there. Um, but essentially, he says that Shabbos is this day that has the ability, one second, to, as we said, reboot the world and, and allow it to renew and restart itself. So now we can understand why this time of Mincha, of, of Sudash Lishit, is such an Israel storm. It's such a powerful time. Which is his, his father. Okay, so if the world was going to, uh, if the world is going to have another 
week, okay? The time that this is going to be decided is really going to be at this time of as Shabbos is going away. Like, it's, it's, we're in suspense, right? Is there going to be another week or is it going to, is there not going to be another week? And as the Orachim said, every week the world is renewed just because of the energy of, Sha- of, of Shabbos. So God at that time, right, as Shabbos is starting to slowly ebb away, is the time that God, it's this eighth ratzon, it's the time that God is like, am I going to do this again or am I not going to do it again, right? He has to decide, this is a time of what we would call of renewal. He is deciding now, am I going to allow the world to continue for another week? Okay, so too, just like God is going through this process in the world at large, we as humans who are called an alam katan, each one of us is called a little world. We also, this is a time of hitchatshut for us. It's a time of potential renewal for all of us as well. It's like I'm a new creation every single week in the schools of Shabbos. Okay, so that I can renew myself like a brand new creation. Okay, so just to end off this discussion about, uh, specifically about the three su'udot, just to give us a, a, a very important perspective of this time. Um, it is an eight zone. It is a time to take more seriously. This is a time to, to dive in and a time to, to really connect. Um, so just to end our whole discussion about eating and everything in general. So let's just do the last couple of things on the booklet from last week. If Looks like this. Okay, Shabbos Malkatat says Atmikim in the middle. I see. It's a book from last week. Yeah. It starts with, it's the first page of this. Okay. Okay. So two different points that we uh, that I think is bringing down here, both having to do with um, with eating that I wanted to share with you. So on the top, okay, where it says Dali, you do a parish Rashi, and I showed you this actually inside in the Gemara. Right, we all know that on Shabbos we get an extra neshama, um, and Rashi says, anybody remember how does Rashi explain what a neshama tear is? Anyone remember? Like an open heart? No, very basic, very technical. What does Rashi say that a neshama is? What does it give us the ability to do on Shabbos? To eat a lot, to drink a lot, to sleep a lot, and I don't get nauseated from all of it. Okay, that's what Rashi says. This is what the Shabbi Sarah is all about, really. That I can eat a little bit more than normal, like that. Are you? Are you like? Kidding me? Like that's what it's all about. <laughs> so Rashi's coming just on a very shot level, on a very basic, more uh, superficial level, because he's saying the neshama is talking here about our our natural soul. You can still ask, like. Why is that such a great thing, right? That I can eat more and like not like grossed out from it. Like, why is that a great thing? He said, even actually, it should be the opposite. So you 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 know your neshama should your neshama should be like grossed out. We should eat less. Don't mind eating so much. Don't eat so much. What is the maila? Right? What is the great like? Wow, that I can actually eat more. What's the actual reality? Okay, by the way, there's a very spiritual art of eating. Okay, eating, because again, ladies, eating is what ties our neshama and our gruff together. Okay, so that balance is very delicate. And so it has to be, we have to be very, very careful about that. So generally, what happens 
when I eat a ton, okay? When I eat a ton, think about physically what happens to you. I can tell you because I sit here, and not that you all eat a ton, but I'm saying I just see what, even when you eat like whatever at lunchtime, and then you come into my class right after lunch, and a lot of times everyone's like, oh, I'm uh-huh. closing, right? But you all know what happens after a good Shabbos meal. You just want to what? Sleep, sleep, pass out, game over, okay? <laughs> because our bodies, our, our goof was like sort of victorious, you know what I mean? The body is just like, <laughs> And it's weighing us down. Okay, it makes that connection between the guf and the neshama. You know, it sort of like loosens the grip a little bit, and the neshama is kind of, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say winning, but on some level, you know, it's definitely dominating at that point. Okay, so so he's saying kimanja parish baruchu nishmat kochai va'achila gashmit have a stira So again, physical eating because again, it's so crazy. Our neshama is spiritual. Our body is physical. But the way that we sustain our bodies is through eating physically. But we have to understand that the physical eating that we do on some level is a bit contradictory to the whole concept of ruchnias, of spirituality. Again, he's saying this, I mean, okay, eating too much removes the dveikot, removes that connection of the shkina from within him. So therefore, he's going to become weaker. Because the neshama is is sort of you know it's sort of trying to break away a little bit. Because why? Because I have made a, a break. Okay, I've sort of put up a barrier. The more I eat, the more barrier I'm putting between me and my neshama. Okay, and so I'm thereby. It's again, it's like a magnet. Okay, that that I'm putting something in between, so that magnetic pull becomes less, and I by nature. I'm pulling away from my creator. Why am I eating? Okay, I'm eating because it's, like I said, I'm having a meal with God, right? It's Yichud, it's Kavod Hashem, it's His Ratzon. So therefore, the Neshami Yitzhira is like teaching us that we have the ability, we have an extra ability to eat a lot, but not become disconnected spiritually. That's what it is. Whereas during the week, if I would eat that much, I become completely disconnected. But on Shabbos, I don't. On Shabbos, I have an ability to actually eat more food, but still stay very spiritually connected. Because this type of eating, the Shabbos type of eating, that's not going to cause distance between me and God. But rather the opposite is going to help me and cause me to actually be able to be closer. Okay? So that's one idea. I just wanted to put that out there. Um, and then one other idea uh, on the bottom. Okay, so Ralph Pinkus actually asks, and then he asks a question, right? We're talking about eating a lot on Shabbos. Right? Ladies, we have a room full here of beautiful hostesses. Maybe you're hosting now. Please God, you'll host in the future. You're hosting Shabbos and you're like, okay, I know. I took this class about turning Shabbos into Shabbos Kodesh, right? I have to make, I have to make good foods. How much food? How much food do I have to make? What do I have to prepare? Exactly. So he brings a mashal here. He says, an asher muflag me'ishire olam could go on Habaron Rothschild, Kvehador Kodim. So the Baron Rothschild said, so this becomes to you and says, Natalia, Okay, listen, this is what's going on here. Okay, my daughter is getting married, my only daughter. Okay, my daughter is getting married. And I'm coming to you and I'm telling you, make me a wedding. I'm, I'm giving you the task of preparing this wedding for my daughter. Now, this isn't just some Joe Schmo coming to you and asking you to make this wedding, right? This is one of the wealthiest people in the world. Clearly, he has certain expectations mm-hmm. of what this event is going to look like, okay? Right? So you and your family, you're going to do the catering for me. I want you to make just delicacies, just beautiful, amazing dishes. Okay, but aleichem is for. But remember, when people come to this wedding and they taste the food and they see the food, they're not going to think of you. They don't even know you, right? You're irrelevant. You're in the background. They're gonna. It's all about me, right? This is a reflection. This meal is a reflection of me. Just remember that. Okay, they're going to say, right? This is the Suda that the Baron Rothschild, you know, prepared. 
It has to be respectable and honorable enough that my name, I should feel confident and happy to have my name connected to it. And of course, I'm not asking you to pay for this out of your own pocket. Of course not. I would never ask you to do that. I have more money than you. I'm not asking you to give me any of your money. Go to Osharad, right? Open up a tab, right? Open up a bill. Everything's going to be on my cheshbon. Send me the check. I will pay. Not only that, I'm going to slip you a little extra for all the hard work that you put in to, making this, to make this beautiful. She said, this is Shabbos. Shabbos is my day. Shabbos saying, I want you to make a meal for my children, right? This is a meal for my only children, right? This is, a, it has to, and it has to reflect me. It's not your suda. Shali, it's mine. My name is going to be called on this. Again, it should be honorable enough that I should feel, you know, confident and happy to be connected to this. Okay. Hashem is saying the same thing. I don't want you to, don't worry. I have plenty of money. I don't need you to spend your money on this suda. You're making this suda for my children, right? I don't need you to spend your own money on the suda. Go into any store you want, buy anything you want, okay? And he said, I will pay the check and I'll give you a little extra for your help, okay? So does that answer your question at all? I don't know, okay? But, you know, it's something to think about, okay? Again, you don't have to go, it shouldn't be so much food that it's just like ridiculous, you know, no one's gonna eat it. You don't wanna waste the food. Okay, but you can make a little bit of very beautiful, special things, things that you wouldn't necessarily normally buy on any day but you buy it for, for Shabbos, okay? You go to the supermarket, you're going to spend a little extra money on things that you wouldn't normally buy during the week. Maybe that will be the day you eat meat or that might be the day you eat chicken, depending on your on your pocketbook, okay? But it's a, it's a you're making a chavadik, honorable, beautiful suda, um, just like you would be making a beautiful chasana for, for somebody wealthy. Uh, you're taking upon the catering, so you're doing the catering for Hashem as well. Okay, and the last, last thing, the truth is, there's a following page um, that I'm not going to read with you inside. I'll read that to you. It's in English. Um, the Maharal also has um, I, an idea about what each of the three meals represents, but I'm going to leave that to you to read it on your own because we just do not have time. But I do want to share with you uh, um, the last page I think that is there. It says guest in Hashem's house. Can I ask a quick yeah. question? On that page, I was just reading it. It only lists the, the first one. Uh, Letter, can you just no? It starts. It's there? weird. It starts on that, like on the right ones. side, and it ends on the left. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, it I starts, didn't see that. Yeah, oh, it starts on the right and ends on the left. Got it. Thank you. Okay, sure. So the last page it says guests in Hashem's house. Does everybody have that? I think it's the last page. Right? The last page. Okay. So this is also, I think. A little bit of a good muster, okay, for those of us who are on all our crazy diets, okay? <laughs> okay, so he says, let us explain the difference between Shabbos and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day for us. It's the day we can achieve the highest level of Kedusha, and when we generate Kedusha, we give up everything for Hashem out of love for him. That's why Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton. Not only do we refrain from working, we even abstain from eating, drinking, etc. It is a day of pure Ruchnias. If Shabbos were a day for us as Yom Kippur is, we would fast and forego physical pleasures. And we would surely gain more so, more by doing so. But in truth, Shabbos is something else altogether. Imagine a Jew receives the honor and privilege of being hosted by the Chasim Sofer, a monumental Torah figure. Okay, you can fill in any big rabbi that you can think of, but here, the Chasim Sofer was a, a very, very huge Torah figure. He invites you to his house, okay? The Chassam Sofer is very fond of this Jew and happy to see him. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Yaakov, he says with a beating smile. Welcome, I'm so happy you came. I want you to eat supper with me. The Chassam Sofer himself goes into the kitchen and says to his Rebbe, did you hear? 
Rabbi Yankel from Burr Park is here. Please prepare a special meal for him. The Chassam Sofer emphasizes that a really nice meal should be served for his beloved guest. Soon the Chassam Sofer emerges from the kitchen with a plate of chicken and side dishes. He places it before the astonished guest and urges him to eat. I'm sorry, Rabbi, the guest says, but I'm really trying to cut down on my intake of tasty food. You know, I'm working on the needs of precious. Maybe you have a dry piece of bread and a cup of plain water. That's fine for me. This surely is not the way to behave. When a person is in his own home and wants to work out being more spiritual, indulging himself in rich food is not the way to do it. The less he eats, the better off he is. But when the in the Chassam Sofer's home, he should put his personal preference aside. A great tzaddik has invited him to dine with him, and his own desires pale in comparison to the tzaddik's. The guest should stop thinking about what he wants and focus on what the tzaddik wants. This is the proper reaction. When the Chassam Sofer asks you to enjoy a meal he has prepared for you, the relevant halacha is one should not refuse a great person. Your avoda at that moment is to put aside what you want and do what he wants. I travel a lot and the state of kashas varies from place to place. So I made an ironclad rule not to eat meat outside my own home. I simply don't touch anything place But once I broke my rule. I was in the home of a great Rosh Hashiva at supper time and he insisted that I join him for the meal. We reserved chicken and I ate out of respect for this great man. When Yom Kippur comes, we focus on our own avodah Hashem. That calls for fasting. But when Shabbos comes, we're not in the center of the picture because we're in Hashem's house. We are guests at his table. And he says to us, I want you to enjoy my delicious food. And the halacha is, one should not refuse a great person. We put aside what we want and do what Hashem wants. This explains the mitzvah of Odeh Shabbos. So what do you learn from this, ladies? No diets. No diets. Don't refuse dessert, Okay. When the hostess is giving you and offering you food, eat. Okay, you're at Hashem's table. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm on a low carb diet. I can't eat that. You know, only eating protein or whatever. Like, Shabbos is not the time to be mocked than that. Again, I'm not saying that you have to stuff your face like a crazy person, but there is something to be said when you're at Hashem's Shabbos table, okay, that we should be mindful of that. Yeah. Is there a problem with before Shabbos even starts? If you really are like, oh, I gotta ask them if you want, or let them know when you make plans with them too. Like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this right now, or I can't eat that, or this. Listen, I'm telling you as a hostess, okay? The rule of thumb would be if you have serious like dietary restrictions of people who are gluten free, people who are vegetarian, people who are vegan, which sorry to say, find a little annoying. <laughs> no offense. But you know, if you're on, if you're on, like especially gluten free, because for a lot of people they're really gluten free because they they can't eat gluten. Yes, please tell your hostess you're gluten free. If you are a vegan, are vegetarian, please tell your hostess. They do want to know because you know I know like for sure gluten free. Like I can use the regular soy sauce or the gluten free soy sauce. If I had just known before you got here, I could have done it appropriately. I would have made less starches and I would have made more vegetables. Whatever they can, you know. Um, but. I just think if you're on some like crazy fad diet, I don't know if that's fair to impose. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to get over yourself on Chavez mm -hmm. a little bit. And if you really, really can't, then I don't know, you bring your own food. Mm -hmm. But to, you know, I think, again, this is a certain hashkafa, okay? This, the hashkafa that Rabbikis is bringing down is that it's Chavez. And this is not a day to be so mocked, but you're at someone's house. I'll give you, this was a crazy story. And my kids still talk about it. We had this girl over who was like a new vegan. Okay. Oh. I love, no offense. It's not Rebecca. It was years ago. Um, <laughs> and she, and Rebecca's not even mocked at all the picky and the whatever. So, you know, vegans are careful not to eat honey also. So I really went out of my way to like make this okay for her. And I, I try to cook healthy anyway in general. So like it wasn't such a big deal. But I was like, dessert. What do we do for dessert? I can't make anything with eggs because you won't eat eggs. You know what I'm saying? So I made this like loose pie that doesn't have eggs in it. And I put it in a graham cracker crust, right? And then, oh, I don't know why it struck me before I put it out. I was like, oh my gosh, like what if the graham crackers have like honey in it or something? I don't know. So I looked at the the uh, the ingredients and taka, there was a little bit of, and so I felt like I had to say something, right? It was like, should I say something? Should I say something? So I actually said something to her. And she was like, no, I guess I can't eat it, whatever. And like, and I remember feeling like so, I was just so frustrated because I had like tried so hard to like make this work and like, you know, and, uh, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't eat it. And, uh, my kids got really upset, <laughs> I mean, whatever. And, um, God bless her. She's a lovely person, but it, for me, it was a muster for me. It was a muster. Like what's more important, you know, this, like, it's not a dietary thing. Like you're going to get sick if you eat it. You know what I'm saying? Making your hostess feel 
bad that they, nothing feels worse to a hostess than people sitting at their table and not eating. It's like the worst thing ever. You know, you work, you slave, you, you, know, you want them to enjoy and then they come and they don't eat. So I'm just telling you, you have to think very hard before you refuse something. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. But obviously, oh, I don't, I don't eat dessert. I'm not, I'm not, I don't eat this. I don't eat that. Like, just be mindful. That's all. Okay. Yeah, we're going to move on now. I feel so much better now, but not be strict about my cookies and having indulged in all your super delicious. Just don't be vegan. Don't be vegan. The worst is when you get a vegan and I'm not gluten free at the same time. It's like the worst. It's really hard. Okay, so this is uh, probably your last booklet that we're going to get. We have this week and, and next week we have a tool, so the following week is the last class. Um, I'm going to try to get in as much as I can with you before that time. What we mostly are going to be speaking about now is uh, the concept of Menucha, because that is a very, very big part of Shabbos. That is really excited. No, that Menucha Shabbat. We're talking about Menucha and resting on Shabbos. Okay, but actually, uh, the first thing that I want to do with you, I want to read this quickly with you. Um, the first page of your of your booklet. Does uh, it say everybody have? Almost. Yes. It's again. It's like the pinnacle. You know what I'm saying? It's like if you think about it, you could. The time of Yichud for a husband at a wedding, right? I think we would all say is probably the pinnacle, really, of the wedding. We're not usually, we're not there, right? We don't see it, but, you know, they just had this Kedushan. They just got married. They're finally alone together. They're able to have Yichud. They haven't been able to have Yichud all of this time. They're finally able to be together. It's like the culmination, really, of everything that they've been working on until that point. And so that's really what Shabbos is about. Again, it's like, all the lofty ideas that we that have been circulating in our heads and talking about Kedusha and going out and meeting Shabbos and making a Kadosh and, and integrating the Kedusha of Shabbos, it's all kind of coming, it's all kind of coming to a head at this point. And again, really, really, the world can't exist without Din and Chasid together. It can't be one without the other. So it's almost like just pure Chasid is like the honeymoon. You know what I mean? Like we all know honeymoons are not real life. They're honeymoons and we call them honeymoons for a reason. Okay. The, the, when you're able to like get into the, into real life and still have shalom, right. And, and, and work together and have a beautiful relationship. That's really, that's really a testimony to, to all the hard work that you've put in. You understand not to just live on a cloud. We're not living on a cloud. This is, this is, this is real life. Okay, yeah. When you say din, you mean that counteracts to chesed? Well, din is like the opposite of chesed. Meaning din, you know, chesed is all about expansion and giving, yeah. and din is about constriction, right? It's about limiting. So it tend, they tend to be the opposite of each other. Okay, so I think this is really amazing. This actually also, I think, is a good segue from talking about the Beit HaMikdash, right, to talking now um moving away from that a little bit, and we're going to talk, as I said, about Menucha, but this is a, a piece from the Sefer, actually, again, from Shabbos Machasa, um, called Onesh Chilul Shabbos, right? What is the Onesh? Does anybody know what is the punishment for I'm not talking about, you know, I made a mistake, a Zeraman, and whatever, I'm saying real, as we'd say, a real Felicia Chilul Shabbos, you know, like, meaning what was, like, what was the example in Torah, by the way? Someone who picks up the, the wood. The Mekoshesh Itzim, right? He gathered wood together. He did it in public in front of witnesses. He got he he was told not to use warned. You have to be warned. You have to do it in front of witnesses and still not listen. And what was what's the onash? Death, right? Stoning. Okay, so the the punishment for Chilul Shabbos is is death, which is pretty intense. Okay, and so um, as we said, I just want to kind of remind everybody. We said the Shabbos and the Beit Hamikdash are very connected to each other. First of all, the malachot of Shabbos that we're not allowed to do are what? Exactly, the malachot that were used in the Beit HaMikdash to build the Beit HaMikdash and to function in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so there's that connection. And he also brings here that 
the punishment for somebody who did something wrong in the Beit HaMikdash, okay? Let's say, for example, uh, the Kohen Gadol, okay, who, right, his clothing was not right, something was off. What was the punishment? Anybody know? It was that day, okay? It was also death, okay? So any, any stia, like any, uh, like turning away of doing any, I can't think of the word in English, but um, anybody who did something, even the littlest thing, rock, okay? We were very precise in the Beis HaMikdash. The punishment was also death. So that's also very connected. Shabbos and Beis HaMikdash are connected in that way too. We don't see it like this anywhere. You can burn a safer Torah, okay, Kasha Shalom. You don't, you don't get the death penalty for that, okay? You eat something not kosher. You don't get the death penalty for that. Why is Shabbos and the Beis HaMikdash so strict, okay? And we also said that Shabbos in time is connected to the Beis HaMikdash in space okay we, we've mentioned that idea before which i think connects to what we just talked about right where we said that the times of shabbos right the the ascending levels of, of shabbos are connected to the different you know areas in the Beitamikdash. okay so so i want to read this with you a little bit okay so i, I actually just summarized the first side of the page for you so let's look at the second side of the page Okay, it says Onish full Shabbos. Everybody have me? We're on this page. Okay, that is, but I, I summarize this part. We're just gonna go to the second. Okay, Venera Beer in Yarnoraza, Masha. He's gonna bring a Masha here to explain this. Somebody got fit, had sick one of his limbs. And the doctor says, You need a, an operation. So the doctor said he needed an operation, and the guy's on the table, and this doctor wasn't so great. And what happens during the operation? He made a mistake, right? He nicked something that shouldn't have, he shouldn't have nicked, okay? He touched something that he shouldn't have touched. If you're talking about one of the more external limbs, like your arm or your leg, even though a deviation, that's what I'm looking for, a deviation. Even though a little bit of a deviation can definitely cause damage, but it's not going to be life-threatening, okay? There's not going to be life, it's not going to be life-threatening at all. Right? Oops, right? You're getting brain surgery or heart surgery, and there's a little bit of a deviation. You don't want to hear the word oops from the doctor, okay? That's not the word that you want to hear. Okay, because when we're talking about those those um, organs, okay, that are so fragile, okay, even the tiniest deviation, slight, 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 he could cause death. They're usually microscopic, those types of surgeries. Because in those kinds of organs, everything is so fragile and delicate and precise. That even the slightest deviation can cause something life-threatening. So too it is the Beit HaMikdash. The base of Bigdash is like the heart, okay, and the mind and the brain of the world. Because from there, let me tell you something. I don't think the Goyim realize, okay, and a lot of Jews don't realize it either. But the Goyim had a lot better life when we had the base of Bigdash too. They also benefited tremendously from the fact that we had a base of Bigdash. Okay, the, the base of Bigdash is like the heart. Imagine that's the heart that's pumping, okay, energy and life force throughout the entire world. And now that the base of Bigdash is not there, it's very difficult, okay? And everybody feels the uh, the aftermath of that, okay? And so, and that's why it's so much stricter than all of the other mitzvot in the Torah. The rest of the mitzvot ladies, kashras, whatever it is, that's tantamount to an external limb, okay? They're important, obviously, you need your arms, you need your legs, you like your fingers and your toes. We're not saying they're not important, they're very, very important, but they're like, they're not like certain, you know, many people, unfortunately, who live a full life, even though they might be missing certain limbs. Okay. Even though the, the, the loss is great. Again, it's not a tragic life. You know, uh, it's not, it's not going to threaten your life. That's not the case with the heart and the brain. Uh, and therefore the danger is so great. Okay, so we're going to skip the next paragraph and go down to the 
the one right after umamash otoyan gamashavis kodesh. So too with Shabbos. Shehi hamakor l'chol hakedusha. Shabbos is the source of kedusha of all the kedusha. Vehi leiv haolam and Shabbos is also the heart. Remember what we just said, ladies. What did the Archaim say? That Shabbos is what allows us to have life for another week, right? Without Shabbos, the world would just disintegrate. So the, the, the Shabbos is like the heart of the world. That's why Hilo Shabbos is so strict. Even because we, I'm sure we all ask ourselves, you're sitting here in Hilo Shabbos class, and you're just like, oh, serious rabbi? Like, is that really make a difference if I do this? But it sounds so like picky, right? Why do I have to be so careful about every little thing? Just think about the brain surgeon, okay? We're just like, why do I have to be so careful about every little thing that I do? What's a big deal if I just move it a little bit the wrong direction, okay? Again, we don't usually think about it that way, but he's explaining to us. You may not realize it, but that's exactly what's happening in the spiritual world. Shabbos is so important. It's so delicate. It's so fragile. It's so precise. And it's the heart of the world that if you're not keeping it properly and you're going off and deviating a little bit, it can have severe ramifications. Okay, and it can be threat life, life, and you know, put the put our lives in danger. Okay, our spiritual lives in danger. So I just wanted to start with that and just make sure you understand again, because a lot of keeping Shabbos is also all the halachot of Shabbos, and it can drive you a little crazy sometimes. And so I think it's important to have just a little bit of a perspective of why it's so important and why we're being so careful. Okay. Um, Let's see, do I want to hit the end of this? Okay, I think this is good. This is, yeah. Um, shouldn't, it sounds like the death punishment is only for breaking Shabbos in public intentionally and with witnesses. That's, yes, that's when you actually get, that's when you are able to get the death sentence by a base death. Ah, oh, so understand still spiritually, yeah. potentially, the potentially, same. Yes. We don't know what those ramifications are. We don't have. It's not like you get off scot free because no one saw you. You know, yes. God saw you. But mm -hmm. yes, we're talking about in public, okay? Um, and to be excited, and to be punished by the reason. Okay, so let's now move on to how Shabbos revolutionizes our lives. We're going to talk about Menucha in the next few minutes that we have. Um, it should be the next page. Yes, the next page is in English, okay? Um, so this is actually also from a paper. It's the Nefeshim Show, and it's the one that's translated into English. Okay, how Shabbos revolutionizes our lives. It was, this is from a Pinkus, okay? We once had this in the library. I have a feeling it is now living in someone's apartment, but I don't know where, so maybe you want to go home and look for it. It's called Nefesh Shimshom. Um, okay, what it means to stop. It once happened that everything simply stopped. When Hashem gave the Torah, no bird squawked, no winged creature flew, no cow mood, the Ofanim didn't soar, the Srafim didn't say Kadosh Kadosh, the sea didn't sway, people didn't speak, rather the world was completely silent, and a voice rang out, I am Hashem, your God. It sounds like the Medrash is saying that when Hashem gave the Torah, everything had to be quiet in order that he could say, I am Hashem, your God. It seems as if silence was required so Hashem's voice could be heard. But the truth is the exact opposite. Hashem's message is always loud and clear. His presence fills and dominates the world. But we're so preoccupied that we don't even notice what's in front of our eyes. This is why we don't see Hashem. This may be compared to a great and wonderful king who invites one of his subjects to meet with him in the royal palace. The subject has never been there before. There are many other people in the palace as well, all serving their things. There are musicians, sages, advisors, etc. The subject arrives and enters the palace. The first thing he hears is beautiful music playing on one side of the hall. He stops there to listen for a moment. He hardly manages to pull himself away from the enchanted music when he sees a great sage on the other side of the hall, expanding amazing words of wisdom. He is riveted by the lecture, and then he notices the magnificent works of art hanging on the walls. The subject gets so involved with what's going on all around him that he doesn't even notice the king, who's sitting there in the middle of the hall waiting for him. The visitor could spend hours taking in all the beauty of the palace and never even gaze upon the glorious countenance of the king himself. But the king is fond of this man and wants to converse with him. What does the king do? He announces, silence, everyone, stop what you're doing and go home. Suddenly, everything is quiet and the overwhelming beauty and glory of the king fill the palace. The whole earth is full of his glory. Hashem's overwhelming beauty always fills the earth from one end to the other. 
But the world is such a fascinating place. People go to and fro, and instead of noticing Hashem's greatness, they're drawn in by the beauty of all the things they see, by physical pleasures, etc. Hashem's world deters us from noticing him. If a person walks into a flower shop before he recognizes Hashem through the greatness and beauty of his works, he gets so involved with the beauty of the flowers themselves that he forgets about Hashem. We live in a wonderful world of skies, oceans, great mountains, and forests. Hashem's magnificent world was created, so we would point to it and say, this is absolutely astounding. Who created all this? It is like the king in the above allegory. His orchestra played beautiful music for him, all in his honor. But visitors to his house became so enthralled by the music, they forgot the king was even there. For this reason, when Hashem wanted to talk to us and give us the Torah, he brought the whole world to a halt. Everything was silent. Then the great voice issued forth, I am Hashem, your God. This is Shabbos Kodesh, a day of absolute cessation. All the bustle and confusion of the world stops. While on weekdays, a person runs around attending to his physical needs. On Shabbos, everything stops and is silent. When everything ceases, when everyone goes home, what's left? Hashem. This is Shabbos, the day when the Jewish people are alone with Hashem. There is nothing besides him. That's why we were given Shabbos. So we would have a day on which to find HaKadosh Baruch Okay, so that just hopefully puts it into a bit of a perspective. Um, so now we can turn to the next page. Okay. So let's understand more what this Anucha actually is all about. Okay, so look at the top. From the Kitzah Shulchan Aruch. Okay, no again should the Shabbat ain mashkinin, mashkinin kokakavodik knesset come as a whole. So if you want to know what Nurucha actually means, it doesn't mean that on Shabbos I sleep till 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. It actually means that I should get up and go to well, this is talking to a man, obviously, that I should get up and go to shul later than normal. So if a man would normally go to Nate's, let's say during the week, so on Shabbos he'll sleep in and get up at seven and go to the seven o'clock meeting instead of going to the five thirty meeting or whatever it is. Okay, Misham, why? Misham de Shana me onik Shabbos. Because Shana is onik Shabbos, we all know that. Sleeping is pure delight, <laughs> at least for most people. But as Nahua akrad de Bekarban Hatamit shall you not ne amar babuker. So he just brings uh, an asmachta for us to understand uh, where this is coming from. So when it talks about the carbon tamid, right, there was a carbon that was brought every single day, twice a day in Beit HaMegash called the carbon tamid. So for the carbon tamid in the morning during the week, it says you should bring it baboker, meaning early in the morning. And on Shabbos, it says, that you should bring it on the day of Shabbos, which means that you should, it, it doesn't have to be early in the morning, right? Sometime in the day on, on Shabbos. So we understand from here that uh, we can sleep a little bit later, but he does stress here, there is still a Zman Kriyachma. Okay, there's a time by which a person should say Kriyachma. And so even if a man is going to get up a little bit later, he shouldn't miss Zman Kriyachma. Okay, so I think we all know that no matter how much sleep we somehow manage to get during the week, it's never... It doesn't have the same ability to rejuvenate us like, like the sleep of Shabbos. I don't know. There's something about the Shabbos sleep, hopefully, uh, that has much more of an ability to rejuvenate us. Um, but the real point is to sleep a little bit later and not necessarily to sleep the whole Shabbos away. Okay, number two, where it says on the articles Nero's, okay, that little paragraph. This is from one of the Nero's that we sing on Shabbos. The Shena, Shabbos, Shena is sleeping, is Mishubacha, that is praiseworthy. Kedat nefesh meshivat, it returns back to us, right? Uh, when it's sufficient to refresh our soul, to return our soul back to us. So he says, a nap on the Shabbos is praiseworthy. The rabbis have found this alluded to in the name Shabbos, okay? Which I think this is everyone's favorite acronym ever. Okay, Shabbos stands for what? Shana, the Shabbos, <laughs> Ta'anuk, right? Sleeping on Shabbos is delight. Okay, that's what Shabbos stands for. That's everyone's favorite. Okay, somehow we like that very much. Okay, so that's number two. Okay, let's look at number three. Okay, this is also from a Pincus. So he says, Hashem gave this day of resting and kedusha to his nation. So what is essence, what are we doing on Shabbos, right? On Shabbos, Shabbos comes, and I'm separating myself, essentially, from my relationship to the physical world on some level, right? I'm not connecting to the physical world as I usually do. 
what am I doing? It's so almost like we can maybe picture ourselves like with little angel wings, you know, flying back up to God. That's what we're doing on Shabbos. We're disconnecting a little bit from the spirit, physical world, and we're like flying back to Hashem's realm. Why? Because we're, we're trying to um, gather our strength for the coming week. Because why? Leaving the physical world and reconnecting in a spiritual way to Hashem. This is getting us back to the source, to our source of life. Where is our source of life, girls? Where is our source of life? I'm not asking any trick questions, I promise you, right? If that's where our source, our source of life isn't in our bed, okay? And it's certainly not in our phone, okay? Our source of life, our makor, is HaKadosh Baruch right? So when we're disconnecting from the physical world and we're reconnecting back to our spiritual, you know, our spiritual source, that is rejuvenating us, okay? Um that is the essence of what Menucha is about. And again, I'm again gathering together my energies and my strength in order to be able to go forward and have another week. I mean, honestly, cell phones with all that everybody says, good, not good, whatever it is, but one thing it teaches us is this lesson because we can really understand this now, right? You all know what happens when you unplug your phone, right? It's slowly dying the whole day, right? It's, you know, you see the numbers going down, going down, going down. And what do we need to do? We need to replug it back in in order to recharge the battery. That's exactly what Shabbos is doing for us. It's helping to recharge our batteries. We don't, we can do it a little bit during the week when we go to sleep, right? That's what sleep is in general. But as I said, there's nothing like that recharge because again, it's not just sleeping. That's the whole point. Manucha isn't just sleeping. Manucha is reconnecting to our source. How else can we reconnect to our source other than sleeping? Reading. What? Reading. Reading what specifically? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, we might enjoy reading Huckleberry Finn or whatever, you know, I have it to like Mark Twain, or whatever romance novels or whatever it is that anyone's reading, okay? Um, but but in the end of the day, okay, I think we understand that spiritually, again, our, our source is from Torah. So engaging in Torah, learning Torah, tefillah, that is what's going to, and that's another way of rejuvenating ourselves, okay, 100%. Um, and so we definitely rest physically by sleeping, and that's definitely an important component. And no, I'm not saying that it's not, and, and no one's saying that it's not. Shana is meshubachat, right? Shana sleeping is definitely praiseworthy and it's definitely wonderful, but we also have to spiritually recharge in another way as well. It's not just by sleeping the whole time, but it's also by actively engaging, okay, in uh, in a combination of sleeping, but also learning Torah, okay, that's how we, that's how we rest, okay? So let's look at the, and we'll end with this, the last one on the page, also from a pingas, okay, the alkane. Right? As I've told you before, we are we are given a commandment, ladies, not to just keep Shabbos, but to what? La'asot. What does la'asot mean? To do. To do. As we said, I'm not just a passive participant. Okay? I am actively engaged in this process. Okay? The manucha on Shabbos isn't just refraining from work. That's part of the process. Again, when we talk about Kedusha, if you remember, we, I don't know if we discussed it in the context of this class particularly, but I try to mention this often, okay? The concept of Kedusha doesn't just mean to separate yourself, okay? That's only part of the, part of the process. I do have to separate myself from things that are going to take me away from holiness, right? In order to what? to be able to connect to other things, to higher things, to more elevated things. So when I am disconnecting myself from the world, right, and I'm not engaging in active, creative work, what am I doing? That's only part of the process. La'asot etashabat means I, there's, now I need to go to step two. Step two means I have to be an active participant. I'm not just sleeping the whole day away. Keeping Shabbos doesn't just mean that I'm not doing anything wrong, okay? I also have to do things that are right, okay? Ela Asiyah Ubinyan. Shabbos is actually all about building, but it's a different kind of building. 
I'm not building a house, okay? I'm not building blocks, okay? What am I building? Your connection, Tasha. I'm building a connection, Tasha, okay? I'm creating spirituality. I'm creating Kedusha. Um, so, I am spending my time now breaking down the barriers that are separating between me and the physical world. And between me and Hashem, and I'm returning everything back to Hashem's domain. Okay, so he brings here an interesting Misa, which um, I probably should stop here.